Have you ever looked at a used tea bag and said to yourself, I can build a social impact business out of that? Well, that's exactly what today's guest did. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs, and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good good for business. Now, here's your host, James McGregor. I guess in this episode, Jill Hayes, she's the CEO and founder of Original Tea Bag Designs. I first heard about Jill whilst actually on a family holiday to South Africa, and I was talking to a local guide about what we do at Blue Tribe and how we develop solutions for environmental social impact. And he started raving about this uh, company that you know, makes homewares and fashion products out of used tea bags, uh, whilst at the same time providing jobs and hope to people living in overwhelming poverty in the townships around Cape Town. Uh, I was so curious about this that I reached out to Jill, and as it happens, she's actually got family in Sydney and was was coming to Australia, so I took the opportunity to go and talk to her about her journey. Uh, in this episode, we hear about the humble beginnings, original tea bag designs, some of the many challenges Jill has had to overcome to grow the business into a sustainable business, which employs crafters from a township near Cape Town and supports their extended families throughout South Africa. Known affectionately as the tea bag lady, Jill shows us that just like that perfect brew, every sustainable business needs the right combination of ingredients. So grab yourself a cup of tea, sit back, and enjoy this interview with Jill Hayes. So today we're joined on the Good Business Podcast by Jill Hayes, who's affectionately known as the Teabag Lady, um, all the way from South Africa, although we are sitting here in uh, sunny Balmain today. So there's a bit of a backstory behind that, but anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, so recently I was on a family holiday in South Africa, uh, and uh, we went out to the wine region near Stellenbosch, near Cape Town, and the guy taking us on the tour uh, raved about what you guys were doing. And so, well, so whilst I didn't actually get to see your store while I was over there, um, we made the effort to get in contact, and as a small world would happen to be, here you are in Sydney um, for this interview. So look, t- take us a little bit back in time. So you've been an art teacher. Uh, and then you've launched a social enterprise to deal with abject poverty, um, which is now scaled to offer products through Europe. So where it takes back in time a little bit, how, how did that journey come about and where does this passion come from? So I grew up in the UK um, and in 1996, uh, as a family, we moved to South Africa, to Cape Town uh, with my late husband's job. I'm a teacher. Or I was a teacher. No, once you're a teacher, you're always a teacher. Uh, but I wasn't allowed to teach because we didn't have residency. And I I went on a township tour with, in fact, a visitor who'd come from England. And on the tour, he challenged me. And he said, you know, Jill, you're not working. Why are you not doing anything to make a difference? Um, because this poverty was just shocking that was all around us. Um, maybe I should explain that a township is, is um, well, a little village perhaps that's that's built out of tin what we would call a shed in England and uh, yeah the poverty really is quite shocking when you come from somewhere else and that's how the whole thing started I I found a couple of ladies who who in fact one of them had kept knocking at my door wanting to be a maid for me and you know anyone from England and Australia I realized you don't you do not have maids you don't have gardeners I'm used to doing everything myself and uh, I didn't want a maid. So I said to her, look, meet me on Wednesday morning up in the township and I'll teach you how to do something. So the next Wednesday I went up there and there was uh, Thelma and somebody else. Uh, she'd brought a friend and I showed them how to do paper mache, which was one of the things I did when I was teaching. It really, well, we, we made the paper mache and it was terrible. Um, I took it home. I 
I finished it off. Um, I went back the following Wednesday. We did some more. Um, after several weeks, I realized that this was not going to work. I'd introduced a few other things, but again, everything was, it was not, it was not sellable, but the ladies kept coming back. And then I had another friend, a very special friend called Lynette from England who came on holiday. You know, everybody wanted to come to South Africa on holiday. So she came and we were having a cup of tea. And literally, while we were having that cup of tea, I said to her, you've got to help me come up with an idea that I can do with these ladies on a Wednesday morning. And she literally pulled the tea bag out of the cup and said, why don't we try drying that tea bag? And that's how the whole business started. Wow. So, but how did you connect? So, I think that's fascinating that you looked at a tea bag and went, there's an opportunity. Well, I didn't. She did. <laughs> so, so, how did it go from... Having a conversation, how you could help these women to uh, you identify the tea bag as maybe an opportunity. I mean, what what so could, we what literally can you do tea bag? we literally dried that tea bag, and I had a big cupboard that was filled with paint. Being a, a teacher, and we literally got out the paint, and she did a pattern on it, and we made a card, a greetings card. And so the following Wednesday, I went back armed with tea bags, armed with paint. And I said to them, you know, okay, today we are going to do patterns on tea bags. And they looked at me as though I was quite mad. I mean, who is this mad English lady that wants to paint on tea bags? But the fact that they knew I was going to pay them, they were happy to do anything. One of the things I found very difficult was, though, that I said to them, right, let's do a pattern. And the patterns were terrible. I was hoping I'd get this beautiful African pattern, but nothing like it at all. And so the following week, I went back and I actually had them doing handwriting patterns, the patterns I used to do with the children at school. And I had to teach them the difference between a pattern and a picture. And I mean, many people would say that's completely wrong because I shouldn't um, hamper their creativity, but they really didn't have any idea of what to do. So I would show them a few few um, patterns, and then from there, it was great. Then uh, they took some tea bags home, they painted them at home, and then the following week, I would pay them for those tea bags, which we would then make into greetings cards. Right. So then, so this it was sounds like it was a little bit of a side hustle. We we're doing uh, this small project. When when did original tea bags design the business come about? Look, it took many many years actually just making greetings cards and notebooks. And in fact, I share with tourists um, at our site in Hout Bay in Cape Town um, that in those early years at home, we ended up having boxes and boxes of greetings cards, which didn't sell. And usually once a month, my husband would say to me, Jill, we really need to talk about this as the boxes were piling up and I wasn't selling these cards. So it took many years uh, Perhaps not many years. Well, yes, a couple of years. And from, from working in the township, somebody within our little, our little town offered me a garden shed in their garden. So we moved to there. So our first business premises was a garden shed in a sort of what we'd call in England uh, an allotment. And then uh, that and this was in the township. No, that was outside the town. It didn't really work in the township because the, the room we were in, if there was a fire or if there was a clinic, that building was used. So we had to find our own premises. So we moved into this garden shed, which was freezing in the winter and hot in the summer. From there, uh, a lady approached me to, um, she knew I was working with ladies in the township and she did decoupage, which is the art of putting, painting a wooden product and putting resin on top. 
And she had a large order that she couldn't fulfill. And she asked if she could take one of my ladies, I say my ladies, one of the ladies I was working with, and teach them that skill. Um, and in fact, a lady called Sweetness went along and worked with her and learned how to do decoupage. The lady's name was Christine. And in fact, she then approached me and said, I think you should be using your tea bags on these decoupage products. I would like to work with you. And so in her home, we started making these wooden products with the tea bag, the painted tea bag as the design on the product. Um, we did that for several months. And in fact, at that point, we opened our first shop in the waterfront, which is a very large tourist attraction. In fact, it's South Africa's largest tourist attraction. Um, it was a huge step in faith to open this shop because I not only had to pay rent, um, I had to employ somebody to work in that shop. And to begin with, we didn't do so well. But after a while, I think with, with I don't want to use the word marketing, because I don't think our marketing was very good, but word got out and tourists liked, liked our product. But after a short while, Christine realized that she was not going to make any money out of this product, out of this uh, business that we'd created. And she asked to uh, leave and gave me her blessing or gave me the blessing to carry on. But then I had the responsibility of running this waterfront shop on my own, which was really very scary. So how, when you when you started the shop, did you fund that? Did you bootstrap that? You fund, funded that yourself? Like e everything was funded. Uh, right, and okay. in fact, uh, at that point, I had started teaching part-time and my teaching salary paid for the ladies' wages, the paint, everything. So yeah, I, I, the, the teaching salary was paying the other one, um, including the waterfront rent. After we moved from her house doing production, the garden shed was not, uh, it was too dusty. We couldn't do the decoupage, the resin in there. So in fact, I had to rent a building. And that was an even bigger decision to rent a small property in Hout Bay. Um, anyone, any of you who've been to Cape Town and been to Hout Bay will know it's a very expensive area. So the rent was not cheap, but I decided that I had to do it. So we took on a building where we started production and went from there. What's decoupage for those listening so who decoupage, have no idea what that is? So one of our products, let's, let's say, in fact, our most popular product is a coaster. So it's a piece of wood, which is painted, sanded, painted again. The patterned tea bag is stuck. It's varnished three times. You realize I'm giving all my secrets away. <laughs> and uh, then uh, resin, or some people call it luck, is put on top. And we make thousands of coasters. Um, they're very, very popular. So you went from, so you've started this store, things weren't going great at the beginning. How much of the story behind the product do you think played a part in making that a success? I think it's all about our story. Having said that, from the beginning, I knew we had to produce a unique product. So the tea bag is unique, but there's no point. We, we couldn't just do something half-hearted. It had to be a first world product. And one of the things that shocked me when I went to South Africa was what I call sympathy buying, whereby people buy because they feel sorry for, for you. And that is not, that's not acceptable. What I, what I wanted to do was 
in fact, it was nothing, it was not about the salary or paying women. It was more, well, actually, no, that's not right. It was about that. But I also wanted to empower them. I wanted to teach them. And for me, holding your hands out and asking for help is not acceptable. So our product has to be world-class, but the story is absolutely, I think, what sells the product. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. So, you know, we have a saying, you know, sell them what they want, but give them what they need, which, you know, we, we talked about earlier. Uh, and a part of that is making sure you're offering a high quality product that people really want and they want to put it in the home and it's a nice feature and they can talk about it and they can tell the story. But as a consequence of them buying your high quality product, then the social impact follows as opposed to leading with, well, we're running the social business, please buy our product because it's going to help people is not sustainable in the long run. I think yeah, you'll get that you'll get that sympathy purchase, but I think that's that business is doomed to fail in the long term. Look, over the years, I've really deliberated. I mean, it's, I've now been doing it 20 odd years and I constantly go from, is it, should I have formed a nonprofit or is it right that it's a business? It's a CC. And in the very early days, knowing nothing about business, in fact, uh, it was my husband who said, you know, we've got to do something because money is going into our account and coming out of our account. And, you know, the tax man's not going to like this. So we literally formed a CC, not with the intention that this business was going to grow. Um, it was a little thing on a sideline, you know, that I was doing on a Wednesday morning. Um, and so that's why we started the business. And I'm still in two minds as to what we should be purely because it's been quite a hard job to make this work. I think I'm right in saying that in America, there is actually a category of a socially responsible company. And I don't know about Australia, but certainly within South Africa, there should be a category whereby tax is more lenient. You know, we pay the same as any large corporate. And financially, I found it very difficult to make the, the, the business work. And we've been doing it for 20 years, and probably it's only in the last maybe eight years that we are truly sustainable. Yeah, yeah. And so was there a particular turning point where you think you went from, you know, a, a bootstrap struggling with a, a social enterprise with a mission to that sustainable business? Was there something that happened that… Yeah, what happened was an amazing lady who's my financial manager and she came on board. In fact, um, we met through quite sad circumstances because uh, my husband had passed away with leukemia. Her husband also had cancer. And uh, we met and uh, she, she was, she'd taken it very badly. And I had suggested to her that I needed an accountant. And she came and had a look at the business. And it was very much, it's, her comment to me was, you know, what are you doing, Jill? Is this a charity? Is this a business? Are you giving your money away? You know, are you trying to make money? And, you know, I really hadn't got a clue. And she said, I'll give you three months. I'll come for three months. She, she's Irish. So if you can imagine that with an Irish accent. I'll, I'll, I'll give you three months and uh, we'll see what we can do. Well, she's still with me. I think it's eight years down the line. And she has turned us around. Um, in the early years, she made me cry because um, she was really quite brutal with me. And I, she challenged me on so many things. And I had to learn to put a business hat on and run it as a business. But without a doubt, she's the person and I think that it's taught me a huge lesson that at a certain point, you need the right people around you to help you go to that next step. Yeah. And what, and what sort of things did, did she focus on that 
made you sort of hone in and get this business sustainable? Well, I think one of the things that happened when I started this, it was a hand of friendship. And in many ways, I was probably, I don't mean too nice, that's a terrible thing to say, but it was, I went in as a friend. I wanted to try and break down the barriers that are present in South Africa. And then when I started the business, I found it hard to take a step back. And and as a teacher, I should have known because I was quite strict and I always knew that you went into a classroom more, um, I didn't want to say heavy-handed, but more severe. No, even that's not nice. But that you can then back off. But if you go in too gently, then you're in trouble. And so she helped me pull myself back and make it more business-like. So she introduced business um, you know, everybody had a contract, all of those sorts of things, but also just managing the budget. Whereas I would be very tempted just to buy things and we only now produce the things that sell. Whereas there's things that I would like to make, but perhaps don't sell. So just all round, all round, she's been the financial whiz behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson for others listening, whether they're creating a, um, a small social enterprise or a, a large scalable impact business. Um, the yeah, this idea that you, know, you need resources to deliver the impact you want. Yeah, in this case, you're yeah, helping uh, empower women in these townships and provide them with stable income and lift them out of poverty uh, and provide them some um, uh, ownership of their of their future. Um, but you can't do that without the resources, and financial resources are a really key part of that. And so, even if you're running a not for profit, not for profit doesn't mean no profit, right? Because if you don't have profit you don't have the resources to scale what you're trying to do. So I think that's a really important lesson for everyone. So tell me about Original Teabag Designs today. What what does it look like? How many employees? So we've got 18 production staff who half of them come from the Hout Bay Township. Others come – in fact, they all started in Hout Bay, but they've all had, uh, I guess, through their salary, have opted to move somewhere else. Um, I employ three management uh, staff – my financial manager, a stock controller, operations manager. And uh, I've done that because, I mean, in the early days, I did everything, uh, believe it or not. Uh, Sometimes I'm shocked at how much I did do. But as I've got older, I'm not just as I've got older, as the the business has grown, it's become uh, a lot of those things I, I I can't do. I mean, dare I say, you know, social media is not my best and I've just had to accept that there's some, some things that I can do well and other things that I need to hand over to somebody else. So what do we look like? We have a, a stall still in the watershed, and I'm extremely grateful to the watershed who have been so supportive of us over the years. The watershed within the waterfront is a hub for small businesses, and we've been there from the beginning. Sometimes it's quite stressful because we're surrounded by young designers, the standard is immensely high. And I mean, dare I say that some of the products we make, they would certainly not be on my shopping list, but they sell. We aim very much for tourists, for the tourist market. Our production site in Hout Bay is a visitor's destination. So, I mean, when I started this, I had no idea, no idea that this was going to happen. In fact, if you had said to me, you know, when I was 20 odd, you'll run a business, I would have laughed at you because, uh, you know, I believed I don't have those skills. But of what was I building up to? (laughs) 
as, as, what, it, what is it? What does it look like today? So, so, uh, so what, what sort of products? So maybe, maybe what sort of products do you? I'm curious as to what sort of. But hang on. So what? Sorry. What I was going to say was that we've become a tourist destination, and without that tourist destination, we would not have survived. Um, so products. We have a sewing department. We make bags with tea bags sewn on. We've got another whole section where we make the wooden products, the coasters I told you about, trays. I think probably one of my favorite things is the artwork where we actually work with another group who make uh, handmade paper. Over the years, I've tried to work with, with other people to try and then help them. So we work with a group called Growing Paper. They employ 24 women. They use uh, recycled paper. We buy the paper from them and use the tea bags, either painted ones or plain ones, as collage. And they sell very, very well. So I think um, those are some of my favorite uh, things. We make, in fact, angels out of the tea bags that have strings on. Uh, we take, you take the staple out, you open it up, and you sew them together, and you make these angels. I'm sure people are listening to this and thinking this is all so bizarre. And in fact, it is all so bizarre. But it works. It just fascinates people's imagination that, you know, through recycling, we can employ 21 people. Yeah, and it's a really important lesson, even that um, collaboration piece or partnering with others to bring those capabilities together. I think solving some of these environmental challenges that we're all so so passionate about is a team sport. Um, Not not one of us can do it all on our own. Um, So actually partnering is a really effective way, I think, to scale that impact. We were working with a group of prisoners for probably 10 years and we would give the prisoners the tea box the box the cardboard box and they turned those boxes into beads which sold very well in fact we sold close to a million rands worth of jewelry for these prisoners and they used the money in the local communities to help paint creches uh, various things um, sadly that's come to an end but again just exciting when you can collaborate with somebody else and your story benefits them and their story benefits you. One of the things I in business that shocked me a little bit was that some people are quite perhaps not inclusive is the word but want to be on their own and almost very secretive about what they do and to me it's like no let's just all share ideas and through those ideas through that brainstorming um, other things happen. Yeah, and that's an important lesson, I think. And um, even on ideas, we, we often, because we're working with a lot of um, new startups or dealing with new ideas, and yeah, people get very protective. I, I won't tell someone because they'll steal my idea, but um, ideas are worth nothing. It's execution that matters, right? Every, everyone's got, there's a million ideas going on outside this room right now where people come out with different ideas, and a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage will actually ever do anything with it. So I think, yeah, you're right. Speak to, speak to people, do partner, um, a lot of collaboration, that's important. So if there's someone out there listening right now who's um, been inspired by your story and has a an idea that they want to execute, um, what's what's one piece of advice that you give to someone like that besides, other than don't do it? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say don't do it, um, just don't give up. And it's certainly not going to be an easy journey. Well, it wasn't an easy journey for me, but yet I don't regret the 20 years. I've loved every minute of it. I think um, there are obviously people who start businesses and do very well financially. I was never in this to make money. Um, It's paid me a salary. I probably could have, well, I could have earned more doing something else, but yet I've loved what I've done. 
And it's not all plain sailing. There's going to be, particularly if you're employing people, there's going to be uh, lots of people problems and probably not as bad in, well, I was going to say not as bad in Australia as perhaps back in South Africa, because back there we're dealing on a daily basis with huge issues with our staff. So I think that's been um, one of our one of our problems. But I would just say go out there and dream. And, you know, if you really believe you can do it um, against whatever hurdles come your way, you can do it and, and make it work. Awesome advice. So... So what would you like, someone who's listened to this, what would you like them to do after listening to this podcast? Well, if you've got an idea, then go for it um, and believe in yourself. And every day is very precious. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Begin to start. And in fact, I, I've got a theory that you might start doing one thing, like I started doing paper mache and it was useless and we ended up going into tea bags. So start whatever you're doing and it will probably lead into something else. I mean, probably not tea bags, but and hopefully not as ridiculous as tea bags, but you never know where one thing leads to. And I think you've got to be very open. And again, we just talked about talking with people and just yeah, be open as to where it might take you. And if people wanted to get in touch or learn more about original tea bag designs, where's the best place that they can get in touch with well, you? Well, I guess on info at, and it's T-B-A-G, designs with an s on the end dot co dot za great so go and check it out there's some fascinating projects uh or products not projects pro- and product and projects uh on there um so make sure you check it out can people buy those products from anywhere in the world so we're, we're we have a online shop um and that would be www.teabagdesigns.co.za so yeah we do uh, online shopping and uh, I would encourage, again, anyone who comes to South Africa to either visit our waterfront shop or get on the open-top red uh, bus, same as the ones you've got here in Sydney, and uh, get off at the township in Hout Bay and come and see us. Great. Awesome. So corporate corporate gifts um, oh, coming up to Christmas. Corporate oh, gifts. corporate gifts, yeah. A bit late for Christmas now, but um, yeah, lots of corporate gifts. Uh, you know, one thing I've been amazed with is that no tea company has ever shown an interest in us. So if there's any, uh, do you have Australian tea companies? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. But any tea, com- any tea companies out there, you need know, to get on board because this is taking your product, upcycling it into something amazing and delivering some amazing social impact at the same time. Great story for some uh, CSR program, I think. So let's see if we can drive some, some interest for you in that. That would be great. Thank you. Oh, and of course, people can send their tea bags. You can dry your tea bag out and pop it in an envelope and send it to us. Um, because literally, tea bags come to us from all over the world. Yeah, quite bizarre. Another side of it. I go to the post office and come back with these huge big piles of packets of tea bags. Right, and so that information is on your website as well? It is. Great, okay. We'll 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 provide all that information in the show notes so people can uh, find out the exact details on that later. So about we uh, wrap up. So we have our mad minute. So we've got our uh, four questions in 60 seconds. So let's kick off. So what's the best piece of advice you think you've ever received? I think from my mum who used to say you can actually dream, and I think I mentioned that earlier on, and um, I'm not academic. I struggled at school. But mum always said, you know, if you believe in yourself and just try, just work hard and you can do it. And what's your favorite business tool or resource that you use every day to sort of help you guys deliver impact? My financial manager. Financial manager, <laughs> yes. Sounds like she's uh, made a big impact. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Well, it's got to be the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, a woman is like a tea bag. 
You never know how strong she is until you put her in hot water. And uh, I know you said you watched our film, our promotional film last night, and I mention it on there that as, uh, as, as Jill Hayes and as a family and as a business, we've been put through a lot of hot water over the years and we've managed to come through it. So that's got to be my favorite quote. And that quote would have to be almost purpose-written for original TV designs, wish, isn't it? I wish she was still alive, that I could thank her for the mileage we've got out of that yeah, quote. Yeah, head, head, of, head of marketing, Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. And uh, last one, if you go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Well, I think uh, when you're 20, life seems just it's going to go on forever. And I've just learned to treasure every day. Life is very precious. And rather than trying to get on to the next thing, which as a non- – look, I don't consider I'm an entrepreneur, but I know that's entrepreneurial – uh, spirit is that you're never happy. You always want to get on to the next thing. But actually, just 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 um, cherish every day uh, because life is very, very precious. Great. We appreciate your time. Um, traveling all the way from South Africa just to speak to us. Just um, to come to Balmain <laughs> Library. That, that, I don't Balmain know Library. Yes. Yeah, so, so we're sitting, just for those listening, so we're sitting in a meeting room at Balmain Library uh, right next to the main road, as it turned out, which we thought was going to be a quiet room at the library. But nevertheless, we'll see how the audio comes out. Um, but like, Jill Hayes, original teabag designs. Um, thank you for your time. I'm going to steal a description from uh, one of our previous guests, a guy called Gavin Armstrong from a company called Lucky Iron Fish that deals with uh, low iron levels for people in impoverished communities. Um, a small but mighty business. Um, so um, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. what a great story and a great lesson and why you need to get the right team around you because many of these environmental or social problems that we're all trying to solve actually requires a team and speaking of working as a team if you want to be part of the good business podcast team you can play your part by simply clicking that subscribe or follow button or leave a rating for today's episode the more team members that do this the more likely it is that other change makers like you will find out about the podcast also as jill discussed getting customers to support your business or idea doesn't always revolve around your social environmental mission but you really need to be able to sell that product if you're going to succeed uh, to help you out, we've put together a free ebook on selling sustainability that you can access through the show notes. And if you want to access the show notes for today's episode, you simply visit www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast. Coming up in the next episode. And watching people make a decision between one brand and another is an instantaneous decision. People walk up and go, uh, and I pick up one and they look at the back to make sure that it's fresh and they put it in there. You, you don't have time to deliver your five key value propositions or your reasons to believe or whatever else. You've got to get your message across consistently and very quickly. Our guest in the next episode is a branding expert and is growing an urban farming business where he has a split second to grab a customer's attention. So if you want to learn how to create a brand that customers love and that also makes the world a better place, then you don't want to miss this one. Thanks for listening to the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.